It's time to check out TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. With TBR, you tell our professional book nerds, we call them bibliologists, about your likes and dislikes, whether you want comfort or stretch reads, and of course, what your reading goals are, and then sit back while they comb through your Goodreads account, if you have one, and handpick recommendations and must-reads for you. TBR offers plans to receive three hardcover books in the mail, or three recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget, and the recommendations-only level is available worldwide. After each order, give your bibliologist feedback, update your requests to stay in line with your reading goals and expanding horizons, and basically have your own personal book concierge. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Azafetti and me, Tears of Price. We are recording on April 21st, 2022. And hello, Erica. Well, hello, Tirza. How are you? I am great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. You know, spring is springing in, but... um. Ever so slowly, but we'll get there. Ever so slowly, Ever yes. So slowly. It is. I hear that. <laughs> it is actually a gorgeous day here in Northwest mm. Iowa. Um, the sun is shining. It is a beautiful 65 degrees. It's mm. going to be rainy and 40 tomorrow, but I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about today. That's so perfect. And the, the weather here has been very, like, topsy-turvy like that, too. Yeah. It's, like, very temperamental. We had... Three inches of snow on Easter, so oh, that was rude. Fun, <laughs> I know. How rude. It's like you know, I'm from the Midwest. It's not the first Easter where we've had snow, but it was definitely like I looked at that and I was like, "Yeah, we're not going anywhere. We're hunkering down." My partner lit a Christmas scented candle, and I was like, "Here we are on Easter." Christmas scented candle, nice. Yes, some kind of festive. Yes, I love it. You got to make the most of it. I mean, the nice thing about snow in April is that you know it is never going to last for very long. So I can't even work myself up into getting that upset about it. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, we should be clearing out, I feel. How How are springs in Iowa? Um, So far, it's been a lot like spring in Michigan, which Hmm. is, it, you know, kind of goes back and forth between cold and warm, snow and 70 degrees. Um, so, I mean, in Michigan, we know not to plant anything in the ground before Mother's Day, and Mm. I'm hearing the same advice here. So, actually, where I'm at in Iowa is just only, like, if you look at the map, it's only, like, a little bit south from where I was in Michigan. I think people tend to think that Iowa is further south than it actually is, but we're, like, right below Minnesota. So, you know, it's cold. I'm gonna say, tears of confession, I, (laughs) my geography... Of that area is trash. (laughs) So I'm like, I don't even know if I had a good idea of where Iowa is. Yeah. So we're (laughs) right below Minnesota. Okay. We're to the left of Illinois. Mm. And where I'm at in Iowa is actually a fun little spot because I'm about an hour from both Nebraska, Minnesota, and South Dakota. 
Okay, a little central location. So, yeah, nice little central location. But we get like, you know, those nice mountain cold fronts. So (laughs) those ever enjoyable mountain cold fronts. Yes. Yes, I know. (laughs) It's it's funny because people are always like, man, you just like live in the middle of nowhere in Iowa. And I'm like, it's true. But you know, it's an interesting location. I, I can't I don't hate it. So here we are. Like, like, do you like, I bet, like, the scenery is nice. Like, in the nature. It's very beautiful. Yeah, it sounds like it's pretty. It's flat where I'm at. Like, there's mm-hmm. just a lot of fields, which I guess, you know, some people might not like. But I think it can be very beautiful when, like, the fields are rolling and it's wide open. And I am, like, a big fan of windmills. So I love seeing all the windmills, which are ginormous. Y'all have windmills? Oh, yeah. Like, half of Iowa's energy is from wind. So there's oh, just wow. tons of windmills everywhere. And then if you just go a little bit west of where I am, sort of towards Nebraska, the hills get really, like, dramatic and rolling. And it's just really pretty. I think, I mean, it's not, I'm a Michigan girl, so mm-hmm. I wish I was still in Michigan. But right. um, it's beautiful. And I can see why people love it. So It sounds really nice. It's nice. Oh, pretty. So, yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Well, today, um, now that we've gotten our Iowa geography lesson out of the way... <laughs> We're going to hit a little bit of news. And actually, I saw this news article and it like made me so happy. Mm -hmm. So the New York Public Library has made banned, some banned books, not all banned books, because that would be like all the books because everything's being banned these days. But they've made four banned books available for free, um, including Speak and um, King of the Dragonflies. So, you know, Speak is by Laurie Hall Sanderson. King and the Dragonflies is by Case and Calendar. Um, And then I believe they also have have um catcher in the rye Mm. and there's another one there i forget which one but basically these four books are available for free on their the library's like e-reading platform like it's an app and it doesn't matter where you live doesn't matter if you have a card or not there are no limits you can like anywhere in the world you can download their app and you can access these four books there's no hold lines there's no you know overdue fees um you can just have unlimited access to these four books until the end of may um so they are doing this as a part of you know their efforts to combat you know issues of access um for library books and banned books in general so if speak and or any of those books have been banned in your area and you cannot get your hands on a copy you can access these for a limited time and i really love that and i really wish and hope that more you know big library systems that can afford to do this because i can't imagine how much it's costing them to do this Um, i wish that more people would do this because you know i'm not like advocating like oh the books should just be free and like we should pirate them no this is you know completely legal and it's through the library system um authors deserve to get paid but you know not everybody can afford to buy banned books i think you know in our episode that we did a few weeks ago we talked about this where you know the whole sentiment of like oh that book is being banned well go read it and buy it um not everybody can afford to do that so this is a way that people can still have access yeah and To further that, I mean, we did do a whole episode, like you said, but it's also like, it's cool to purchase the books, like you said, once they're being banned, because it's like, oh, you're sticking it to them and, you know, freedom of speech and all that good stuff. But I I know that also a lot of times laws are kind of like slippery slopes in a way. So it's like once they do that, they could, you know, change things in other ways and limit diversity in X, Y, Z. 
Um, And like you said, like a lot of kids or not kids, just anyone, they don't have access to buy the books or go to libraries that um, have them readily available. So I second your sentiment. This is really cool. I love it. Um, I like, and again, like you said, not all books, books shouldn't be like free like that. You have to support the authors and stuff like that. But I, I have been seeing different ways that people and organizations have been fighting against these book bans. So it's really encouraging to see. And even since we did that, even since we did that episode, I've been seeing some good, like, I guess, opposition to book banning. This is one. This is one example. I don't know. Did yeah. we talk about the Bro- the Brooklyn Public Library doing the same thing? Even though, like, so New York City Public Library is for, like, Manhattan, basically. Um, I believe each borough has their own library system, and they're massive, of course. But Brooklyn Public Library yeah. also did something similar. Did we talk about that already? We, we didn't talk about that already, but that was mentioned in, like, the NPR article that I read about this. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're linking to the New York Public Library's announcement. I also linked to that NPR article. But, yeah, Brooklyn and maybe Queens was doing that as well. So I think it's really awesome. And I think that, like, I mean, what, the first thing I did when I saw that was because I'm, I'm totally this person. I <laughs> sent that NPR article to the State Library of Iowa, who controls the bridges system, which is, you know, Bridges is our overdrive system for the entire state. And I sent them that link and I was like, can we do something like this for Bridges? Because, oh my goodness, our governor is like totally supportive of, you know, All Boys Aren't Blue and all these other books being banned. Um, So it would just be like a really cool way to like show support as well in this area. And like I said, like if you, doesn't matter where you live, you can take part in the New York Public Library's um, initiative but i think more libraries doing it more libraries doing it will mean more access but it also mean like a little bit more visibility so if you live in an area with like a good you know online overdrive or good library system it's worth sending i mean not that anything will happen i'm not sure anything will ever happen i doubt the state library of iowa will be like well tears of price said that we should do this so let's go ahead and do it um <laughs> that would make me do it tears what do you mean <laughs> tears of price the tears of price oh i uh. wish i had that much power in library <laughs> world no, yeah. but i don't um but my point is say is that like if if more people are like being like hey we should do this like maybe people will start to listen so definitely like email your libraries i think it's a cool thing and like it's i'm sure it's a lot more complicated than the npr article made it sound but the idea is that like let's think about innovative ways to get banned books in the hands of kids especially there's also not to make this banned book episode part two There is also a way to, so President Biden is wanting to increase the budget for libraries and you can email your representatives. We'll include a link. Yes, there's that as well. I believe he wants to increase it to like $276 million. um, And interestingly enough, I did not know that for this past presidential administration, not only were they trying to um, decrease the budget for libraries, but they were also just trying to get rid of the organization that like runs um, public libraries at a federal level. Mm -hmm. I think it's called Institute of Museum and Library Services, which I did not know, which is unfortunately, it's like, I'm a little surprised 
but not mm-hmm. surprised. Kind of yeah. like awestruck. But we'll include a link for that. And also, one more one more little news item. The organization We Need Diverse Books has granted educators $70,000 to fight book bans. Um, yes. And basically what that entailed uh, was... Um, so educators could be teachers, librarians, any kind of like student-facing um, education role, uh, applied for this grant, and it gave 35 people, I believe, if I can do math, <laughs> 35 people, $2,000 each, and they can use that money to um, buy more diverse books for their book collection in the classroom or in their libraries. They can put on like programs for like community programs that feature diverse authors, maybe just anything basically that promotes diversity in like children's literature within the education space, which is amazing. Obviously, this round has already been, um, you know, spoken for people already applied and people were chosen. But I think they might be doing another round at some point, um, they just, you know, trying to get the funding together. So that's really cool and very encouraging. Awesome. Yes. And you can always donate to We Need Diverse Books throughout the year. Highly mm-hmm. recommended. Seriously. All right. So, yes, that's our fun news of the week. And we're going to get into today's topic, which I'm really excited about because this is a topic that is kind of timely and I did a little research on and it's blowing up TikTok and that is dark academia. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I have two questions for you. Mm. First of all, when did you first hear of dark academia and like what, like, I guess what's your perception of it? Do you like dark academia? Ooh, Yes. Um, okay, so when did I first hear about it? I feel like I heard about it, I want to say, like, I want to say, like, 2019. Okay. But I feel like I'm, like, <laughs> I've always, <laughs> I feel like I've always known it. No. <laughs> it's all, I've always known it in my heart. Um, I feel like it really came into my, like, awareness in 2019 as a thing. But I will say, I, I kind of dug it before it was being grouped as a thing. Yeah. Like, I I definitely registered it as, like, an aesthetic and, like, a, like an, like a physical visual aesthetic as well as a, like, vibe, you know? <laughs> yeah. Totally. <laughs> and it's all those things. Yeah. So, it's, like, I definitely felt that and loved it before. Yeah. But I feel like it came into my awareness as it's understood now, like, in 2019. Okay. And so. Oh, I'm sorry. What were you about to say? No, no, no. I was going to, like, tell you about my Dark Academia origin story, but go ahead and finish what you were going to say. <laughs> I love that there's an origin story. I love that. I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's about to be a good story. So, <laughs> basically, like, my to answer your second question, what is my perception of it? Well, yeah, I, I guess I think I, I think I kind of started to explain it. It's kind of like it can be a visual thing. I know aesthetics, that kind of became trendy within the last few years, like 2019, 2018, 2020, whatever. There are different ones, and Dark Academia is definitely one of them. And it's basically like, like, there's like, like, I feel like it's for people who, people who are drawn to it are people who like books, who like learning. And there's like this romantic feeling, like if you view being like a writer 
or yeah. an academic or like a philosopher or something is something that's kind of like romantic and dare I say a little sexy? Dare I say? Yeah, it's sexy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like you would like it. And, you know, of course, there's the wardrobe wise, there's the like, you know, the tweed and the oh, blazers yeah. and the Oxfords, which I definitely, you know, I won't say that it flatters my body shape, but I like <laughs> the idea of it. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. Oh, I so yeah, it's one of those things that I think if I like look back on, I realize that like the trappings were all there and mm-hmm. I can, you know, kind of identify them. But my like distinct memory of like first hearing like the phrase dark academia and seeing it like really catch on was probably in early 2020. And I was working um, on the TBR side, like the bibliologist side of our our service TBR, which offers um, personalized book subscriptions and um, recommendations. And like, I know you've probably heard our ads a thousand times. I swear the story is not an ad. But I was working as a bibliologist. And when you do that, like you're fulfilling tons of orders and you're reading like lots of reader surveys, which honestly, I love doing because I think it's really fascinating to see like what people like and what they dislike. And like, Mm. you really get to see like each person's personality through their survey. And I just I, I was I found that very fascinating, like as a human, but also as a reader. And so I started noticing it like probably like the spring of 2020, like everybody all of a sudden was asking for like dark academia. Mm. And I was like, that is really interesting. So another reason why I really like being a bibliologist is we often you can like get this wider view of trends, especially within the bookish world. Um, so that was like a trend that I started noticing. And what I love about dark academia is like I, the first time I read that and like I'd never heard the term before, but like I knew exactly what they were talking about yeah. when they were like, I want more dark academia books. Like, and that is why I think it's like so like successful because just like the words dark academia, it really evokes a strong image and a strong sense. So, um, you know, and then like I was talking with other bibs and other book writers and I was like, why is dark academia so popular all of a sudden? And like, I'm not even joking. Like, I kind of felt a little bit proud of myself because I started noticing in all these surveys. I said to like our editorial staff, I was like, we don't have anything on the site about dark academia. We need to like get on that. And they were like, oh, okay. Um, and then like, it felt like maybe two months later, dark academia really blew up on social media. Yeah. Um, so definitely I noticed it because of readers first, which is kind of interesting, but... What I also, you know, I, I'm a nerd. So, of course, I did a little bit of research about dark academia. Naturally. Um, naturally. <laughs> and I found a couple of really interesting sources from, like, you know, fan fandoms and, um, like, fandom Wikipedias. But also, like, there's a really interesting New York Times article that I will link in the show notes. Um, so, basically, like, yeah, what you were saying, like, dark academia kind of started out, like, as an aesthetic and like uh-huh. this sort of like subset of lifestyle culture. Um, and it the term actually dates back to like 2014 where people started identifying it as such. But I do agree where I think like that vibe and that like sort of aspirational like lifestyle has always been around. Uh-huh. But it really, and this is where it's interesting, you know, the two of us can kind of compare our stories. Like it took off in like, It started to gain momentum in 2019, and it really took off in early 2020, in part because it's, like, everybody's home, and they're, you know, stuck in their houses, and I think people were, like, just going hardcore on TikTok in early 2020, and that's when it exploded, so... 
The one thing that everybody seems to agree on is The Secret History by Donna Tartt is considered like one of the essential texts of the dark academia sort of movement. And what I find interesting is that it is sort of inextricably linked to literature. Mm. And I don't know any other sort of lifestyle, culture, or, you know, that's so closely linked to books, which is pretty cool. Like, you know, obviously you'll go on like TikTok and people will be like, here are some cottage core recommendations, but like dark academia and literature, like I think those links are really strong. And then another thing that I thought was really interesting um, was that a lot of people are praising dark academia for being like very inclusive on like the gender spectrum. So there's this really interesting quote that I picked up. This is from the New York Times. Um, and it's, quote, the androgynous vintage blazer is definitely representative for the aesthetics, says Delara Scholes, a fashion historian and researcher at Royal Holloway, University of London, who considers herself an adherent to the dark academia subculture. It can be worn by boys, girls, and anyone who does not fit into any of these definitions, because anyone can be feminine and anyone can be masculine. The silhouette of a classic dark academia outfit often reminds us of a 1930s or 1940s men's look. So I thought that was kind of interesting, kind of cool, Um, especially when you consider like a lot of the newer dark academia books that are coming out. I do find them to be pretty inclusive, and that's awesome. So yeah, and I guess the other thing I really like about dark academia is it's not a genre. Mm. Because it's it's like a vibe and a setting and a mood. Like basically the only thing like to make it like fit the requirements of dark academia is there has to be some kind of academic setting and there has to be some sort of like darker element to it. And that can be anything. Like it can yeah. be like mystery, thriller, horror, fantasy, dystopian. So like yeah, there are books all over that sort of range. Um, and that that is my research part of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's it makes so much sense why you thought of this great show idea. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's you know what I mean? I thought that would be interesting to kind of dive into it because I don't see this going away anytime soon. And we have a lot of content on this site, which again, like we will link to in the show notes. Um, I did a recent like new dark YA academia or new YA dark academia of 2022. And there's some older articles from like last year and the year before on the website that you can go and look at. But yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I don't, necessarily think it's going to be going away anytime soon yeah a lot of books coming out this year and probably even like i don't want to say more because it's hard to know everything that's coming out next year but i don't think that we're gonna see it disappear next year either no because it's such a i think it's if i had to say like why it would stay around i think it has a lot to do with what you just said like as far as why it would stay around as um like a book thing a book vibe or descriptor or whatever is because it meshes so well with books. Like, its whole existence is kind of deep, is, like, tied to books and literature. So mm-hmm. I can see it being, like, naturally people who like to read and who, yeah, people who like to read are going to be drawn to it more. And I think it's yes. interesting, as you were as you were talking about, like, the history of it and stuff, I was, I was surprised to hear that it originated in 2014. But, I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense, takes time to... Um, build up. And I kind of feel like maybe it became more of a thing. It and the other like lifestyle aesthetics, like cottage core and was it VSCO or whatever <laughs> I forgot what the other ones are called. There's light academia. All that all that stuff. Oh yeah. I feel like they kind of 
came out of like the ether. Like they were kind of just floating around as we were describing before, kind of like as vibes or just general moods or whatever. And they kind of like manifested into this whole, like, you know, all these Pinterest posts on like how to achieve each aesthetic. I feel like that is um, it becoming more of a thing is like really tied to how much uh, more visual we are, you know, social media and Mm -hmm. everything, Instagram and all that. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. It's very interesting. And also, this whole topic just sort of ties in so nicely with one of my favorite reader (laughs) emails that we've gotten so far. Um, So, I mean, we told you all to email us and you did. So thank you. Um, (laughs) Jeff emailed us and it was literally just like a one question, like one sentence email. And that question is, why are so many YA books set in boarding schools in Tarobang? Jeff, um, I mean, I'm not an expert on like, I mean, I am probably an expert in why, but I'm not like, you know, the say all end all. But I think it is because like, okay, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. Dark academia right now is really popular. Boarding schools, excellent breeding ground for like dark academia novels. But if you go back, like boarding schools have been popular in YA before dark academia kicked off. And I think there is like the level of like aspiration, like, oh my gosh, like boarding school sounds so cool because most of us don't go to boarding schools, you know? Yeah, that's true. Second, a good YA novel oftentimes needs teenagers having agency and teenagers going out and doing stuff without adults being like, hey guys, don't sneak out of the house and go to a party and then come home driving drunk. Um, You know, that's just an example. But Mm -hmm. like, so teenagers need agency and They need ways to, like, get out from underneath the parental oversight. And I think setting novels in boarding schools is a really good way of getting them out from underneath that adult oversight because parents aren't around. You do have teachers and, like, you know, dorm moms and whatever. But it's also kind of like you see teenagers have more freedom. And so when they have more freedom, they can do more stuff, which is good for plot. But I think a lot of it really is, like, that aspirational sort of pull, like – even as a teenager, I even was kind of like, man, that would be kind of cool to go to boarding school. Uh-huh. Like, now I would have been like, oh, I would have hated it because, yeah. like, I actually like living with my parents and I would have missed my mom and dad. And, you know, I liked my family. So, but there's definitely, and I also think, like, you know, people who, who go to boarding schools tend to be rich. So, yeah. yeah, a lot of, like, pull towards, like, freedom and money. And and then, you know, there's also the, like, fantasy boarding school novels, which, again, is kind of... Again, focusing on freedom and whatnot. Um, so that's like my sort of anecdotal opinion as to why so many YA books are set in boarding schools. I don't know if you wanted to add anything, Erica. I mean, you covered a lot of it. I think you made really good points. Yeah, and I feel like boarding schools, they're, they're obviously a place that's away from the usual home where there's like, you know, like you were saying, like not just parental supervision, but also parental protection. So now this is like a first time when kids are kind of like by themselves, but together and they're put together in this one place. And I I feel like it, yeah, it helps to add to the plot something like, say like a common evil or something that all these kids have to face because they're all living together in this boarding school as opposed to like an evil they have to face, but it's, but they're in each other's houses it just, I think it creates a lot more opportunity for them to like come together in the middle of the night and, you know, tension. Go around with, yeah, tension. And like, and then there's this like 
deliciously sinister aspect that could be added, which is like, oh, um, you know, like, is there a monster in the basement of the boarding school or something? And we're all sleeping yeah. here tonight. And like, or is it haunted? Or the, is the wood, the, are the woods that are like on the grounds, are they haunted or are there monsters there? So it's like this new setting away from your parents, away from that protection. You're trying to become your own person. And that, I mean, that could be even like an analogy for growing up, right? Like once you leave your parents' house, you have all these, like adulthood is scary. I still haven't yeah. adapted fully to it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, so I feel like, yeah, because like, it's like adulthood light. <laughs> yeah, adulthood light. So, yeah, that was a very good question, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you so much. I love that um, we came, well, Tirza, you suggested this show idea like months ago. Yeah. And Jeff emailed us five days ago. So we're going to add. <laughs> Perfect time. <laughs> when I saw that, I was just like, yeah, that is so funny. But yeah, I, you know, I might have any even more to add, but I, I really do like the idea of boarding schools and I'm with you, Tears. Like, I feel like when I was that age, I would have loved to be at a boarding school. Now mm-hmm. I don't know because I don't know. Some kids can be awful, you know. There's danger in being away from, like, your parents, especially, I mean, if your parent's good, if, if your parent's bad, then maybe you do want to get away. But, yeah. like, there can be danger in not having that close parental oversight. And, like, actually, some of my books are going to talk about this. So, um, yeah, we should probably dive into our next sponsor and then maybe start talking about some books. Sounds good. This episode is sponsored by the audiobook edition of Veil by Dylan Farrow, read by Emily Schaffer. Dylan Farrow's Veil is a thrilling sequel to Hush, read by Emily Schaffer. Shay's world has been turned upside down. More determined than ever, she sets out to the mysterious land of Gundal, a place forbidden to mention and resigned to myth, in search of a book that could alter the fabric of the world. Following the trail of Ravad, the boy she thought she knew, Shay discovers there's more to the boy who stole the Book of Days than she realized. In a world shrouded in lies, Shay is desperate for answers and to restore peace. But who will lift the veil? Thanks again to our sponsor, the audiobook edition of Veil by Dylan Farrow, read by Emily Schaffer. Awesome. So do you want to kick us off with your first pick? Yes, yes, yes. So the first one I have is If You Could See the Sun by Anne Liang. So it is a brand new one, actually one of the ones you mentioned in your roundup for the year for Dark Academia. And it follows Alice Sun, who goes to an elite boarding school in Beijing, where she's always felt like she doesn't belong. She's like the only kid there on scholarship, and she feels self-conscious about that because everyone else is from a wealthy family. Like you were saying, Tirza, it's like kind of like, you know, expensive. So yeah, not kind of expensive. It's quite expensive, can be quite expensive. So she's always hoping to be invisible. And one day she actually turns invisible. So I don't know what manifestation, affirmation or whatever she used, but sis really needs to like get on YouTube and start a channel and share <laughs> that because <laughs> you talk about manifesting. Okay, so she's oddly newly invisible, but that's not all. Now her parents are also saying that even with the scholarship, her school is still too expensive. So to help pay for her tuition, she decides to use her powers of invisibility to basically find out the tea on her classmates, 
which is a choice. <laughs> um, you know, like, okay, of all the things you can do. Um, like, interesting how you chose to do that with your powers. But anyway, so she enlists the help of a former academic rival, whose name is Henry, to make this app that will basically allow her to connect with people who will pay her for her services, you know, using her new power. Um, she starts to see that, well, one thing, she, she's, she starts to see different things. Like, for one, Henry is not quite the person she thought he was. Um, she thought he was this, like, kind of, I guess, basically spoiled brat, and they were academic rivals previously. And she starts to get to know who he is, and that even though he is wealthy, he comes from a wealthy background, he still has his own struggles. And there's also some delicious enemies to lovers action going on, if you're into that. I like morally great characters, even when I don't necessarily agree with their choices. Um, I think it's just more interesting, and I think it's more realistic if we're being, you know, real. So with that said, some things are a bit of a slippery slope, though. And she starts getting involved in actual crimes, <laughs> you know. So um, as for the magic of the story, there's not like a lot of explanation, which I also appreciate because sometimes like I like to read a lot of fantasy and stuff like that and magic realism. Um, sometimes I like to just be kind of dropped into a story without like too many explainers and um feel like that helps me to feel like, like when some like fantastical element is mentioned and it's not like super duper explained, it kind of just makes me feel like that's part of this world. Um, you know, this world I've been, that I'm reading about. So uh, basically, if you like magical realism, then I think you'll appreciate like the fantastical elements here. Awesome. Yeah, all the characters are Chinese. I think it's really cool. Um, takes place in Beijing. I feel like we don't see that too much with Dark Academia. But yes, If You Could See the Sun by Anne Liang. That's totally on my um, TBR. I have mm-hmm. not gotten a copy yet, but I think that the premise of that sounds really intriguing. And I do agree with you. Like that sort of casual pairing of like something that's a really realistic setting with like a slightly spectacular element mm-hmm. is kind of exciting. Yeah. Um, so the books that I'm going to talk about next, this is like really great because you mentioned that you like morally gray characters. Um, yes. These books are full of morally gray characters. Love it. I'm going to be talking about Jesse Q. Sutanto's The Obsession and The New Girl. So they are each standalone mystery thrillers, but they're both set at the same boarding school, Draycott Academy. And they are very, very slightly linked, like, obviously through setting, but, like, the they do kind of have a little bit of character crossover, like, secondary character crossover. So The Obsession came out last year. It was Jesse's um, debut novel. And then The New Girl just came out this year. So... Draycott Academy is this very exclusive, you know, wildly expensive boarding school in Northern California. The obsession is about Delilah, who is a day school student. She doesn't board. You know, she doesn't have a lot of money. She's a scholarship student. And her mom is with a very abusive boyfriend. And Delilah basically is just like keeping her head above water trying to avoid her mom's abusive boyfriend, going to school, getting the grades. Meanwhile, the book is also told from the point of view of Logan. And Logan is um, a boarding student at Draycott. And he is very, very, like, not a good person. He is a stalker. 
Um, like all the you vibes. If you ever read that book or saw the Netflix show, oh my god, um, yes, that I have. that is like Logan. Oh so he he sets eyes on Delilah. He decides that he's in love with her. He starts stalking her. She has no idea that he's stalking her. Um, she has no idea he even exists, and he's just like she's the love of my life. I just have to convince her now. Um, which you know, spoiler alert, never goes well. So in the course of his stalking her. He sets up a trail cam outside of her house because he is paying attention and he knows that her mom's boyfriend's abusive and he's doing it for her protection, which, you know, as you're reading this, you're like, yeah, sure. Okay. So one day Delilah is home with her mom's boyfriend and her mom's not home and he's being, you know, a real jerk and she has like, she snaps and she basically causes an accident that kills him. And she's definitely at fault for this. Like, he dies as a direct result of her lashing out. But the circumstances make it look like an accident. So when the police come, they're like, oh, my God, what a traumatic, terrible accident. Like, they they feel really sorry for Delilah. And they don't even question that she could have possibly killed him. And so she's kind of like, is this even real? Is this possible? And um, yeah, it totally is. And she kind of goes around with her life. And then, like, Logan starts asking her out and then unfortunately on like their first or second date logan lets it slip that he knows that she killed him and he's got video footage of it and this is not a spoiler for anything because this this all happens within like the first 50 pages of the book and so um delilah now has gone from like the frying pan into the fire basically because logan is obsessed with her he's very smart she is caught very firmly in his web and he's not willing to let her go. And he also has like this devastating dirt on her. Um, so that is the first book. I'm not going to tell you what happens next. You're just gonna have to read it. The second book is about this new girl named Leah. Um, and she is Indonesian Chinese. And so she starts out as a scholarship student at Draycott Academy. She's a boarding student. And on her first day there, she sees um, another girl basically get dragged away by security. And everybody's reaction is like, "Hmm, okay, cool. Uh, And they just like go about their day. And she's like, that is really weird. What is going on? Well, she, she soon finds out that what is going on is that there are a lot of secrets and there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of corruption at Draycott Academy. And it kind of comes to a head when she realizes that her English teacher is treating her unfairly because she can't afford to buy an A from him. And this realization and the connection with like a lot of other sinister stuff going on at Draycott Academy culminates in murder. Um, And it culminates in her being put in a very, very, very precarious position. And she doesn't know who to trust. So again, I'm not going to say anything more because you just got to read the book and find out. Um, What I really like about both of these books is that they give off such like how to get away with murder vibes. Like, I don't know if you ever saw that show on ABC. Yeah, I did watch some of it. I did watch like the whole season, though. Yeah, I'm not caught up with that show. I think I stopped watching around season three and not because I wasn't enjoying it. It was just like, it's one of those shows that it's nice to marathon at once because so much happens. Mm -hmm. And like, you're like, oh, I forgot about that big twist at the end of season two by you you forget about it by the end of season four. So um, I want to go back and like watch the entire thing. But the reason why I wanted to compare them is because I think you've got like this really interesting group of people who are kind of thrown together. And there's 
all this bad stuff going down. And, you know, the characters are doing things and making choices that are objectively not great. Like, objectively, they're crimes. But at the same time, you're kind of like, oh, I'm on your side. Like, it's a total sort of how to get away with murder type of situation where you're rooting for the people who are, like, planting drugs and committing murders. But there's a good reason for why you're rooting for them. <laughs> what a line. I'm rooting for, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. it happens morally great, you know, and all that. If you want to root for the bad guy, here's some dark academia books for you. Exactly. Um, but I did, I did like, like, they're very twisty. They have some really great developments. So, yes, those are The Obsession and The New Girl by Jesse Q. Sutanto. Awesome. Whew. Sounds like something I need to add um, to my TBR. Totally. Yes, I do love a good morally gray character. It's just, you know, just like a little spice, a little seasoning, you know, (laughs) on my characters. So it's always fun. Um, The next one I have is The Devil Makes Three by Tori Bovolino. Nice. And this is about, okay, so Tess is working at her boarding school's library uh, for the summer. And she is kind of like pressed because the patrons are kind of annoying. And she's just like, uh, you know, when you have to work on the summer and you're not really too enthused about it. So basically there is this patron who is super annoying. Of the annoying people, he's, like, super annoying. He comes in, he's kind of, like, posh, and he's kind of, like, this stereotypical image of, like, this privileged kid who goes to boarding school. He's entitled and kind of condescending. But what's interesting is he's also always asking her for these forbidden grimoires. He basically got permission borrowing privileges from his dad and he's been asking about these grimoires because he wants to cure his mother's sickness so he is kind of like dabbling in magic as you do and he's trying to find a cure for his mom so elliot is his name elliot and tess come to a kind of agreement and they end up finding this ancient book in the school's grimoire collection and because that's a thing, apparently. <laughs> and they find themselves in contact with a book bound demon. So now this monster is, you know, has been bound to this book and is desperate to keep its freedom at all costs. So um, side note, this made me realize I would love to go to a school with a grimoire collection, just saying. But yes, yeah, so they have to basically try to prevent this monster from being free and um, kind of save his mother and all of those good things. So they are, there is a lot of like characterization. They engage in some um, introspection. There is a lot, again, tears of what you were saying about dark academia being very like bibliophilic. Um, There's a lot of that going on here. And there is a lot of mood, a lot of, like, atmosphere that contributes to, like, the overall story. Nice. So, yeah. It was fun. 
I love the idea of um, of a demon being bound by a book. That just like the premise was fun. I feel so. Yeah, the devil makes three by Tori Bovolino. Yes, um, that one sounds good. And the author has another book coming out this year called. Um, I think it's not good for maidens and it's basically like a retelling <laughs> of Christina um, Rossetti's The Goblin Market, which I'm very excited about. I heard about that. Yeah. So that sounds should good. be fun. Yes. Yeah. All right. If you, cause we've kind of been like leaning into like the more sort of genre E dark academia picks. If you want something that's like a little bit more straightforward contemporary, um, then I highly recommend The Chandler Legacies by Abdi Nazamian. It just came out earlier this year. Um, It's set in 1999 and it is about a group of students at this academy called Chandler Academy. And they are chosen by their famous um, English teacher to take part in a special writing workshop. And this is like a much sought after writing workshop. You have to apply and everybody wants in, but she only chooses like a select number of students. And so these five students are chosen. Most of them are queer, queer in like the late 1990s. So, you know, keep that in mind. And they are not friends. And in fact, some of them have real beef with each other. Two of the girls used to be roommates the year before and it ended disastrously. Um, One of the students, um, he's from Iran and he was outed. And so now he's here because for his own safety. And so, yeah, there's just an interesting sort of collection of students and they're thrown together and they are, you know, basically tasked to not only become better writers, but also to kind of become friends and support one another. So over the course of this writing course and being together and sharing their writing and kind of confronting their issues and their complicated relationships, they uncover basically some sexual harassment and some cover-ups and this teacher and multiple teachers who are doing things that are not good and they decide that they want to expose it. And so I just thought it was a really interesting book about five very different people coming together, doing something that was like plausible because, you know, there's a lot of sort of aspirational wish fulfillment and genre Um, wildness that happens in dark academia but this one felt like more of a grounded dark academia novel it's not a mystery although sometimes i feel like people are billing it as a mystery it feels kind of like a ya literary novel um, about this period in time and the writing is really good and it's told from all five of the characters perspectives and i was really blown away by how the author managed to um, balance five different point of view characters and it's kind of nostalgic because it's set in 1999, early 2000. So um, that is The Chandler Legacies by Abdi Nazamian. That sounds really good. And you're right. It does it does lend itself to genre. Yeah, I haven't come across too many more like literary or I guess contemporary. Sometimes I'm like, what does literary even mean? But I guess like non-genre. Like, what does that actually mean now that I'm saying it? What does that actually mean? And I guess technically we could say this is historical fiction because it's set in 1999. Don't say it, Teresa. Don't say it. 1999 was only two years ago. I I know, right? I'm attacked. I feel I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. (sighs) Wow. (laughs) I don't know how I shall recover. My day is ruined. JK. All right. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to, you know, 
take that shot about the historical fiction, but it, you know, some people could consider it that. So I know you want to tell us about another book, but first let's um, do our final sponsor for this show. So if you love this show, you're bound to love many of our others. Subscribe to Red or Dead for updates on the world of mysteries and thrillers or download SFF Yeah for happenings and recommendations in sci-fi and fantasy. Don't miss One in Romance for updates on all things kissing books or Hey YA, hey, that's us, for excellent conversations about young adult lit. We've got a show for everyone. Just go to bookriot.com slash listen for a full list of all of our podcasts or simply type Book Riot in the search bar of your podcatcher of choice. It'll bring up the full stable. Your TBR and the podcast shaped hole in your heart will be full. Happy listening. All right. Yes. Other other podcasts, our podcasts, all the podcasts. So much fun. Yeah. So last one I have, or one of the last ones I have, depending on how much time we have, is called A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee. And it takes place at another school. Jeff, I'm so sorry. Um but it follows Felicity, who, whose girlfriend died about a year ago. And she is back at the school, the Dalloway School, where her girlfriend died. And the Dalloway School, it's basically in the Catskill Mountains. It's this, like, it's like hundreds of years old. It's like an ivy-covered campus. So, you know, getting all those, I guess, classic now, dark academia, aesthetic vibes, all that good stuff. So she is back in the room that she had before. It's located in Godwin House. And it's a dormitory that is rumored to have been um, the home of these girls who were rumored to be. Well, it it's not rumored to be the home of the girls. The girls lived there, but they were rumored to be witches. So they are called the Dalloway Girls, and they came to die under these, like, very mysterious circumstances. And it's interesting because witchcraft is not anything new for the school. Like, in addition to the Dalloway Girls, witchcraft is kind of, like, talked about, like, on the low, kind of hush-hush, like, you know, in dark corners and secret meetings. Girls currently, you know have these like clandestine meetings and the shadows and the darkness and all that good stuff. The teachers don't talk about it, but it is a thing that is around. So before Felicity's girlfriend died, she herself, that is Felicity, was involved in some of those things, some of those dark things. So she's trying to leave the streets, as they say. Felicity used to be for the streets. She's trying to leave the streets and um, that is the streets of witchcraft and darkness and stuff like that. And she's trying to just basically focus on graduating. Um, but it's kind of hard because, like I said, the school just lends itself to that and it's kind of all around her. So then there is Ellis, who is a this like prodigy. Ellis has a uh, Ellis is a writer. Um, she's won a Pulitzer Prize, I believe. And she's interested in writing and researching about these Dalloway girls, the Dalloway Five, they're called, because they had these like really gruesome deaths hundreds of years before. And there's just, you know, it's just a very intriguing mystery. So Felicity agrees to help her with this. And um, what's really cool is that, as you said before, there is 
this uh, opportunity for inclusivity, not opportunity, but rather it is dark academia tends to be very inclusive. Um, there are a lot of great queer characters in this. Um, there's a non-binary character, like supporting character, I believe they're a sibling. And Felicity starts to, in helping Ellis, Felicity starts to find out things about Alex, her girlfriend's death. And through, you know, through this journey, Ellis and Felicity kind of grow closer. I won't say if they are friends or something more. I'll leave that for you to find out. But the story also has like these great literary references, a lot of great like gothic, gothic details. And um, I believe the main characters are, when I say I believe the main characters are white, you know, sometimes it's like not stated, but there are some like, there are some more diverse, um, like ethnically diverse, like supporting characters. So it is, you know, it's just a, it's a fun, like, you know, mystery thriller. I had to dip my toe back into the genre. Sorry, dears. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. But it's such a, like a fun, interesting story. Like for me personally, it has all the things that I like. It's got some, you know, it's a, it's got some like, some witches, some mystery, or murder to be solved, potential murder to be solved. So it's fun, in other words. Yeah. A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee. Awesome. Um, so the next book that I want to talk about is um, one that is not set at a boarding school. I feel oh like God. I had to like throw that in there. Oh, my gosh. Just the one for Jeff. The only one just, for you. <laughs> just the one. Sorry, Jeff. Jeff, we've only there, got one for you. <laughs> there are, I mean, there are some that aren't set in boarding schools, but yeah, boarding schools are just a very intriguing setting for those. Um, so this one is Why Would I Lie by Audie Rule. And I have to admit, I'm not finished with this one yet, but I did start it the other night and I'm super duper into it. And it's been on my TBR for like ages. So Why Would I Lie is about Vivica and she is very motivated she has like the top grades she's like the top extracurriculars she has been very focused since middle school because she wants to go to the college that her mom went to but she doesn't just like want to get into college and go like she wants to just be the best at everything and she wants to be valedictorian especially she's going to graduate as valedictorian nobody in her family has ever done that so she's focused and it is the beginning of senior year and she's feeling like not only she's got it like in the bag but she's feeling good about her prospects and one day this new guy shows up they're not exactly sure where he comes from but he like marches in the school on his first day and he takes a look at the bulletin board where like the top students are announced in each grade which by the way is a really really wild and weird sort of just thing that some public schools do. Um, I remember my public school doing this in like the the mid to late 2000s, like they would literally post like the rankings, not your grades, but like the rankings of like the top, I don't know, 50 students in each grade. How do they think that's a good thing to do? Oh, it's <laughs> such a like, bad thing to do. How like, like a, how, Who thought that that was a good thing to do to children? I'm just saying. Like, it's, it's also, like, yeah, like, it's kind of, like, 
a violation to do yeah. it. Like, there's a federal law that says you can't, like, disclose grades at the university level. So, like, yeah, why are we doing this at the public school level? I'm sure somebody who's a teacher can tell me why, but I think it's really, like, a terrible idea. But anywho, so Jameson walks in, sees Vivica's name, like, at the top, and basically is like, mm, we'll see if you stay there. And she is immediately just, like, not... Like, she's ruffled by him, and she doesn't like him, and she doesn't like his attitude. But he's also, like, very dodgy from the very beginning. Like, he will be like, oh, I just moved here from Paris, you know, I used to go to school there, and I was at the top of my school there. And she's like, huh, you don't have a Parisian accent or a French accent. And he's like, oh, no, well, I'm from California. So, like, they don't ever really know, like, what the truth is about him. And so she becomes convinced as he takes over the school and he challenges her for valedictorian and he climbs the rankings that he's either cheating or there is something really suspicious about him. So she becomes dead set on figuring out you know, who he really is and where he's coming from. And everybody else is kind of like, oh, you know, why Why would he lie? He seems so nice. And she's just like, no, there's something weird going on. But her um, investigation into who Jameson really is and if he's legit or if he's really conning everybody starts to threaten her own dreams. So that is Why Would I Lie by Audie Rule. I'm a big fan of Audie Rule. Um, this is, you know, more of a straight up sort of contemporary thriller. Um, but her debut novel, Strange Sweet Song, is kind of like a fantasy musical, dark fantasy set at a musical conservatory. So she also has another dark academia book. If you want to check that one out as well, that's Strange Sweet Song. That sounds really good. And now I'm like, yeah, why? Like, what is going on with him? Like, like, <laughs> right? what, like, what is it? Why does he not have? Well, I have heard that, like, side note on that. I have met kids who went to, like, especially when I was in college, who went to, like, international schools in different countries. And they had different accents. That's just a random thing. Um, I haven't read that book, so I don't know if that is relevant to that. But <laughs> that is <laughs> that is definitely a thing. But I am intrigued. Yes. So that is going on the TBR, too. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of mad that I haven't finished it yet because I also want to know what is up with him. So, yeah. Like, is she right? And that's such a thing, too. (laughs) Side note on that, like, when someone's like, why would they lie? And they seem so nice. It makes me like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. (laughs) It doesn't mean that they're not lying. They could be terrible. Have you watched any documentary about any serial killer ever? Everyone's always like, he seems like such a nice guy. I never thought anything was weird. Yeah, he was just a little quiet and he just had, you know, a lot of shovels, but I never thought anything of it. You know, it's just like, bro, red flags. It's like with the exception, with the exception of like Jeffrey Dahmer, everybody was oh like, oh, they seem so nice. But yeah, oh anyway. My God. Um, so definitely stay suspicious. <laughs> So I think we are unfortunately running out of time, but um, did you have another like title or something that you wanted to throw out for other people to look up? Yes, I do have one more title and it's kind of perfect because I don't want to spend too much time talking about it anyway because I mentioned it before, but I feel like I have to mention Ace of Spades again by Ferida Abike Iemide. Uh, which is about black students at this elite private academy. They're black, they're queer, some of them. So they basically have to find out who is anonymously blackmailing them. So definitely look that up. 
Yes. And and there's one that I mentioned last week or on our last um, regular episode um, for the mysteries that I would also recommend, um, Very Bad People by Kit Frick, which is about a girl who goes to the boarding school that her mom went to and her mom, you know, died under very mysterious circumstances six years earlier. Mm. And she joins a secret society that might provide answers to why her mom died and what happened there. Um, so I talked about that one last time definitely look that one up it will be a perfect fit for this topic <laughs> so yeah that is our show we could keep going on and on about and on. all the and shady on. things <laughs> yes <laughs> all the shady things that happen in boarding schools and all of the fun dark academia books in all the genres um but unfortunately out of time so Please feel free to leave us feedback about the show on Apple Podcasts. It lets us know how we're doing and helps others find us. And of course, you can always email us at heyya at bookriot.com. Shout out to Jeff for sending us an email. And as I said last time, too, um, if you ever have any specific book racks, we'd love to do an episode that just, um, you know, gives recommendations for readers that write into us. That would be fun. It would be so much fun. So again, write to us at heyya at bookriot.com. And of course, don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thanks to today's sponsors, and thank you so much to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can follow Erica on Twitter, only occasionally at Erica underscore E-Z-E underscore, that's E-R-I-C-A, underscore E-Z-E underscore. Awesome. And I hang out on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Tears of Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. And we will be back again in two weeks. I'm so excited because we're going to be doing a special book club episode where we will be discussing Queen of the Tiles by Hannah Alkoff. Yes, yes, yes. That's kind yes. of, I haven't started that yet. That's kind of dark academic. Kind of wordy, it's, kind of bookish murder mystery. It's mystery. It's murder mystery. I, I have started it. Mm-hmm. It's not set at a boarding school, but it is set at a hotel where like a bunch of teens are doing like this competitive Scrabble <gasps> tournament. So that's like boarding yes. school light in a exactly. way. Exactly. It's kind of adjacent. That's interesting. I'm about 50 pages into it. I'm I'm currently in the middle of like five books because I've been doing a lot of reading for different podcast episodes and I'm loving everything that I'm reading. So yeah, but I'm going to get back to Queen of the Tiles. So that yeah, please read that and tune in next week and we will be very excited to talk about that book. Yes. And until then, happy reading. <laughs>